Good morning, Generations Church. Welcome. We are glad you're here to join us this morning. Whether you're here on-site, outside, or you're joining us online, whether you live locally or you live far away, we're glad. You're, you're a part of our family, and we're grateful for you. If you're our guest today, um, I've got something for you in just a minute, uh, but for everyone, I want you to know today is Communion Sunday. Each month, we're going to start on the first Sunday of the month. We're going to start doing communion together online. I'll tell you what happened. When coronavirus hit, we were doing communion every Sunday in the service. If you've ever been here, you know that. Um, And then when we went digital, we just wanted to kind of protect that moment where communion is something special and, and not something that's just taken as common. And so we held off and we thought, well, when we get back together, we'll do that. And then month after month after month after month, And here we are, and we also rarely do it outside in our outdoor services. And really what we're doing is we're guarding against the handing out of anything or the multi-touch kind of thing. And so today is the day. If uh, We're going to begin with, again, every first of the month online. I'm sure that that will run into a holiday at some point and and there will be an exception, but that's our plan right now. So if you don't have something to take communion with and you'd like to participate in communion today, Please grab a a cracker or a piece of bread, a cup of juice or a glass of wine. I know it's a little early, but you get to make that decision, all right? Again, if you're our guest here today, welcome. We're glad you're here, whether you're joining us on Vimeo, Facebook, or you're outside here with us. Uh, We're glad you're here. I want to do a couple things. One, we have a church app. You can go to your app store, Android, Apple, uh, and and search out Generations Family Church. And you can download our church app and, and the design of our smartphone app is to provide everything you might need in a church service. And so if you're a regular live streamer, if you watch from home on Vimeo, Facebook, uh, on our, uh, the homepage of our website, or even our app live streams every Sunday at 10 a.m., uh, you know that it, it's best to live stream on a TV, a tablet, something else, and, and be able to use your phone because our church app is built into our phone and it has everything really that we need for church. If you came to church on a Sunday and, and you were here and you wanted to give or you, you were a guest and you wanted to fill out a connection card, let us know that you were here. All that stuff's available in paper, right? Uh, but when you're, not at, when you're not here, right? When you're at distance. And so we, long before coronavirus, obviously built this app that you would have everything you need. So we have a built-in Bible. So the Bible that we use, the ESV, the English Standard Version, is built into our app giving um, the bulletin, everything is built in, even the notes, all the slides that we're going to put up for my message or any of the lyrics for worship, that's all built into the app. Lyrics and slides are in the notes section, Bible's in the Bible section, uh, appropriately, giving says giving, uh, and then news is like our bulletin. And then the most important part, if you were here today, you are our guest or you're a regular attender. Uh, most likely if you're a regular attender, you've already downloaded the app, but if you were our guest, I would ask you, hey, here's a connection card. Would you please fill this out just quick, like name, email, phone number or something so that I can reach out to you, um, really because we value that you're here. And so inside our, our smartphone app is a thing called check-in. Now, if you're a part of the church, this is super important, especially at distance, this is super important. But if you're our guest today, uh, if you just put your name and an email address and check first-time guest, uh, you can also put a prayer request if you want, but I will reach out to you and, and I will uh, send you an email and just ask you how we can connect with you as a church. Um, if you don't have our smartphone app or, or if you're you know, watching maybe on your phone, you don't want to leave that, you're on a Facebook page or, or something, please, you can do it afterwards or just comment 
on, on the live stream and let us know that you're there. Let us know you're a first-time guest. I would be glad to send you a gift in the mail that we normally do with any guest that visits us. Whether you're a, a far away or, or you're local and just uh, restrained at home because of COVID or whatever, we're glad that you're here with us. And if you're a first or second-time guest, our job is to reach out and connect with you. So if you would make that possible, I would really appreciate it. Back to those of you that consider yourself a regular attender. I've, I mentioned this last week. We're starting to call through our whole database. And the idea is that we want to connect with every person in the church for a whole host of reasons. I'll give you one example. Today is communion, and we offered to take and mail out communion to people that can't be here in person. Um, we can't, obviously, fall, uh, uh, f uh, connect with you if we don't have your information or if we don't know who you are. And so we've asked a team of people, uh, just a few leaders from our church, to reach out, and we're going through the whole database, which is hundreds of families, and we're just connecting with and making sure that we have correct info, that you are able to connect with us on Sundays. Hopefully, you're connected to a small group, and if you would like communion delivered to your house. And so with that, that's today's service. One announcement for you, beyond communion, next Sunday, we are doing baptisms here on site. I haven't been asked yet to baptize anybody who isn't able to come to church yet, so if that's you, please let me know. We will figure something out, okay? I, I promise we'll, we'll work on a, a solution. But if you've never been baptized and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, let me just say this. The first step of response in following Jesus should always be baptism. When the people in Jerusalem, as Peter goes out and preaches the first sermon from the church, as he goes out outside and the people cry out, what must we do to be saved? Peter's words are this in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There is a promise for you, he says, and for your family, but there is a promise for you. Not only are you forgiven, not only are you identified with Jesus, not only are you baptized into a church, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment, the, a unique anointing of the Holy Spirit is tied to the promise of baptism. And so I would say to you, if you have not been baptized, please let us know. We're doing baptisms next Sunday, and I would love to have a conversation with you about that. If you're checking in on our smartphone app in the prayer request section, after you write a prayer request, if you have one, below that, you can always say, I'm interested in baptism, and we will follow up with you. I will probably get that Monday and be able to follow up with you. And so I just want to put that out there. Next Sunday, which is November 8th, baptisms here on campus. And if need be, we'll figure out a solution for those who are not local or for those who can't come and be in public. All right? If you're watching at home, we do this each week. Will you please, will you, will you stand with me for a minute? Even after worship and, and just those long announcements right there, we, we need a break, we need to stand, but we're, we're not doing it for that reason. We're doing that because each service, we stand up and we read a portion of the passage that we're in or something closely related to it, and, and we stand up even at home, when we're live streaming, we do so in order to just give respect to and give reverence to God's word. It's not a religious must. It, it is a, a choice that we just recognize that it, it's God's word that has authority over us. It's not me. It, it's not you. It's, it's God's word. And so this is out of Exodus chapter 29. We're going to study Exodus 30 and the first portion of Exodus 31 today. And the verses that lead right into that, Exodus 29, it says this, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. 
There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be, my, uh, it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and all his sons I will consecrate to serve me as, as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Here's what's significant about this. Remember, right now, Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God, and God's presence exists up on the mountain, but God has been speaking to Moses about building a tent, a tabernacle, a mobile church, a mobile worship space in the middle of the people where God will bring his presence. The promise of this passage, the transition that's going to take place here, is God is going to move to being present among the people. And God makes this promise, I will, be their, I will be their Lord, I will be their God, I will show myself to them. And so in that, we have this beautiful promise as chapter 29 wraps up. Now, here's a main idea for today. <clears throat> Sabbath, finding rest in a sinful world. God provides rest for his people who obey his commands. We often attempt to find rest in many places that have nothing to do with God. We, human beings, all of us, try and find rest and many things that have nothing to do with God. But God promises rest to us if we will listen and we will obey. What an amazing promise in such a restless world. Will you pray with me? God, as we gather this morning, I pray that you would help me get out of the way, Lord, and that you would shine through, that you would speak. Jesus, will you speak today, please? You are the Word of God, uncreated, eternal God, who became flesh because you loved us, because God our Father loved us. And you did so that we could be reconciled to God, that you could accomplish on our behalf all that, all that is in the way because of sin, and that you could leave your spirit inside of us, that promise of baptism that the Holy Spirit will empower us and lead us and guide us. So Jesus, would you, would you do that today? Will you draw us just a bit nearer to God? For those who are listening who are not followers of Jesus, will you draw them closer? Will you draw them to you? For those of us that are, that are followers of yours, God, will you, will you draw us nearer, Jesus? Will you bring us closer to the God who created us and loves us? And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Again, Exodus chapter 30 is where we're going to be today. If you would turn there in the app or your Bible... Here's verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. And so, again, I just want to pause and, and give us a starting point. If you have not been following along in this series, maybe this is your first time here, or you just missed some, we're, we're in the middle of Exodus, which is the first year where Israel has been released from slavery in Egypt. God is leading them through the wilderness, and he he gets them to camp just at the bottom of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And, and God continues to call Moses up on Mount Sinai and then covers the mountain in, his, in this smoke and fire and, and like earthquakes and an and amazing uh, covering over Mount Sinai. And, and when I say amazing, just understand most people's response to this in Exodus is fear. And I, and I believe that's probably right. And God says, listen, you must stay at the bottom of the mountain because of your sin but I'm going to call Moses up, not because Moses is, un, is not sinful, but because God has chosen Moses and is using him as a go-between between himself and the people. And we talked about that last week. 
that as God is going to also raise up a high priest that will take Moses' place, being the mediator, that it, it foreshadows Christ to come. Right? And even on the cross, we get this beautiful image hanging literally between heaven and earth, this mediator between God and humanity, a, a holy God and, and sinful, wayward humanity. There is Jesus, God in human flesh, our Savior, our mediator. And so the high priest anticipates this function that Jesus will complete. And Moses is, is in that moment right now where he's speaking on behalf of God. And he's going up the mountain and God will only speak to him at this moment. But, but what God is telling him is, here's the directions to build this mobile tent of worship. And once you build that, not only will worship take place in the camp, but I will go and I, I, will, I will place my presence inside the tabernacle, the, that mobile tent. And so God then says, make an altar on which you will burn incense. Verse 2, it says this, a cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be one piece of it. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its side and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. So lots of details God begins to give, uh, to, give to Moses about how this will look. And this is this is a common theme throughout the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. As God gives instructions, they're incredibly detailed. And it's because God wants to be, one, involved in every aspect of our lives. And, and God created us and, and God designed us. And there's a way, one way, that we all as human beings function, and, and that's to give glory to God. And we do that best when we're being obedient to God, when we're bringing glory to God. And so God gives very detailed instructions. The other is that each of these pieces has a function. It has a specific function, and it also foreshadows, like the high priest, foreshadows Christ to come. So much of this is prophetic in its imagery. Much of this speaks to either who Jesus will be and, and what Jesus will accomplish for them and and. and what he will do or the, the, the role that he plays as Savior in our lives. And of course, living 2,000 years on the other side of Jesus' incarnation and life and death and resurrection, we have a much clearer view that hindsight is 2020 is much clearer. But as we look at the details, it's, it is God just weaving together an image that will be fulfilled in Christ. Verse 4, it says, and you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall take them, and you shall, they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And so what's going on here is this altar will be holy to God. It will be set apart for only use for God and, and by God and, and with God. And so literally, it will have these rings that hang on the side of it, and poles will go through the rings, and you're not able to carry it. You must take the poles and lift it up when it moves, right? And, and here's what's going to happen with the tabernacle. It's mobile, and the people of God, once they get this set up, they're going to be able to take it down and go where God tells them to go, and then reassemble it, and then go through the steps, and then God will bring his presence down into it again. And so when that takes place and they're reassembling, their job will be to carry it by the poles. And the image that we get here is that the altar is holy. It says, you shall make two golden rings for it and they should be holders for poles in which you just you carry it. And again, the idea here is you just can't touch holiness, right? We're 
unclean people unable to touch this holy thing that is set apart for God. So here's a note for you. A major theme of the Torah, again, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Is God's holiness. That's a main theme. And how we are separated from the presence of God due to sin. That God's holiness and, and sinful humanity cannot be in the same space. Or what will happen is humanity will die. That we will be consumed by His holiness. And so this verse, Exodus 28, just in, the, uh, in a couple chapters earlier, we talked about the high priest and it says, And golden bells shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and the sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. The idea here is that the robe that the high priest would wear would have these bells along the bottom. And as he moved around, and much like I talk and move and do all that, you would, you would hear these bells. And that was a good sign because when, Moses was in the, uh, when Aaron was in the presence of God, if that sound stopped, that meant he died inside. And some say that there was a rope tied to the high priest and they would just pull him out because nobody could go in. But the bells were this, this knowledge that he was in there and that he was doing things right and, and that God was, had accepted him and God had accepted his sacrifice. And then, obviously, if you did it wrong, if you ignored God, if you just thought you could go in or you didn't go through the process, you would literally die and some will die shortly from this. So verse 6, it says, And you shall put in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will be meet you. And so this will go in front of the veil. And if you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about the veil that separated the inside of the holy place from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is where God's presence would literally descend and live inside. And of course, that's not all of God, but God would place His presence, His holiness, in the Holy of Holies. And then around that was this thick veil. And this separated even the high priest and the other priests from God. And only one day a year could that high priest go in, and that's where the, the bells came into play. Only on one day a year, and only for one thing, could the high priest even go in. The rest of it, just God's holiness filled that space. And we talked about how when Christ died that God tore the veil from top to bottom because our sin had been covered and, and now God and humanity could be in the same space and it's a beautiful picture of what Christ accomplished for us. But that's in Jesus and this is 1,500 years or so before Christ and so there's this separation. Even the holy altar was outside of the presence of God. Verse 7, and Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. This simple line in here that it sounds like Aaron is just kind of taking care of some lamps and burning some incense just seems very simple, maybe even very common. But this is one of my favorite parts of this passage and, and this overall function of the tabernacle it says Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning every evening I want to read you just half a verse out of Roman uh, Revelation 5 8 it says in golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints from the tabernacle 
through to the temple on into the, as, as time kind of weaves in and out, as, as Israel and, and then Christianity move through their different forms, we get this repeated image of incense being a reminder of the prayers of the people. So I just, I just want you to pause for a minute. All of us know what incense are, and, that, and uh, hopefully if we choose them, we like that smell, that aroma that kind of consumes the place, and, and we can see the smoke just kind of rise up. And, and this is intended to teach you, to teach me, that our prayers, when we pray, when you and I sit and we pray, they, they rise up like a fragrant incense to God. That when God hears our prayers, it is that, is that, that kind of pleasing aroma, that, that thing that rises up to God. And, and, and I say this because Christianity in America is not, not known for being super prayerful, right? I, I'll tell you this. If I say we're going to do a potluck or if we're going to barbecue, I can get hundreds of people to show up here. We can get lots of folks, maybe not in coronavirus, but you get my point, right? But if I said, even in the healthiest of seasons, even in the best of times, no matter what the condition, best of times, worst of times, virus, no virus, doesn't really matter. If I say, hey, let's gather together and pray, I get a handful of people. And this is true. We, we do prayer online uh, Monday mornings and Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. And I know some people are at work and some people can't make that. But seriously, it's two or three people, right? And me and maybe one, two, three people, other. When we gather together monthly, we used to do this sailor, this night of prayer and worship. You know, a couple dozen people maybe. But seriously, if I say there's food or if we're going to have a, a barbecue or, or a fair or we're going to do something for kids or we're going to take pictures of moms on Mother's Day, this place will flood with people. But American Christians were not known for being prayerful people. And I know that some people struggle with that and we wrestle with like, I'm not sure how to do this or what to do. And, and really, I would say this, just talk to God like you're talking to me. But more importantly than that, I want you to hear how God hears it. That our prayers rise up to God, like this fragrant offering, this incense that rises up to God. I just want you to hear how God loves your prayers and how he receives them and how he desires them. Verse 9, it says, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering or you shall not pour a drink offering on it and this is embedded in a lot of things that are going on in the tabernacle and with a sacrificial system but just hear this that god says listen you can do this but you can't do this and and when it comes down to worshiping god we don't choose how we worship god god chooses how we worship him when we give to god when we serve god when we connect ourselves to a church. God should be the one who chooses what we do and what we don't. And, and, and what's good about that is Scripture paints that picture for us. And we're going to hear a few more things today that we, the church, do and that we are called to, that God calls us to do. And what I would have you hear about this unauthorized fire part that will literally take the lives of Aaron's two sons not too far away from this passage is that we don't choose how we worship God. God chooses how we worship. And we should live our lives oriented around what is God calling us to do, not what do I want to do, and then expect God will bless it. Right? We should pray. We should be prayerful people. Our hearts should know that God loves those prayers. We should worship. We should study God's word. We should be in small group community. We should give, serve, do all those things because God calls us to. Not because I say so or because you like it or don't like it. That shouldn't be the deciding factor. So unauthorized fire. Remember, God creates how we worship. Verse 10, And Aaron shall make atonement 
on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement, and he shall make atonement for it in the, once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. If you're in a community group right now and you're, you're doing the Read Scripture app and you've been following along, there's a video that the uh, Bible Project guys put in there about holiness. And uh, there's this beautiful image of God's holiness being like the sun. And, and it's compared to the sun that we need the sun for life. Like we need it for warmth and for heat. And we need it for life and plants, things like that. But if we get too close, it will consume us, right? And the, the thing that, that changes that, the thing that when, when God's presence, God's holiness is here and, and humanity can't be in God's presence, the, the thing that changes that, what Jesus accomplishes for us is atonement. And the high priest will come in once a year and he, on the Day of Atonement and he will make sacrifices. And, and atonement really has two sides to it. If you, if you will imagine like two sides to a coin. One side is forgiveness. That's the one we talk about a lot. One is that our sin is taken away or removed from us, right? There's this image of the scapegoat that was, after the sins were confessed over the scapegoat, they would send it away into the wilderness to teach us that when you confess your sin to God, that if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you're, again, all those baptized and all those things that we talk about, if that's who you are, when we confess our sins, that God takes them, that he removes them from us, right? And that that, that is a promise of being in Christ, Right? That, that is a starting point. Like Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Like Every Christian is forgiven for their sins. When we confess those things, we're not left with them. God takes them away. The other side of the, the, of, of the coin, or the other side of atonement, is less talked about. And it's, it's called propitiation, where expiation is the removal of sin. Propitiation is making God favorably inclined towards us. Here's another thing we're not really good at in the American church is understanding that our sin and who we are in sin apart from Christ is at war with God. God says things in the, in the Bible like enemies of God, right? That, that we are running away from God, not towards God. In America, we tend to think of ourselves as, well, we're all kind of good people. I mean, not that one person, right? Or not, not Hitler or not this, but, but me, I'm a pretty good person. I'm no whoever, fill in the blank. Mother Teresa, right? I'm, I'm not that good, but you know, on a curve, I do okay. And notice when we're great on a curve, we're always in the okay part. God says you're not. God says I'm not. He says apart from Christ, you're enemies of God. That you are children of wrath, God says. That you are under condemnation apart from Christ. Atonement takes us from being enemies of God and makes us sons and daughters of God, people whom God loves. Does God love the whole wide world and, and, and non-believers and all that? Of course, God has a love for them. But we're talking about is God's favor towards them or is God's judgment towards them? And the other side of atonement is, is making God favorable to us, removal of that guilt and reconciliation with God. And so in this, in this image of God's holiness, we need to capture all these things. Verse 11 says this, The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people in Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. I want to just point this out. That must be what we missed with coronavirus. Must have missed our ransom pledge or something. Here's what God is doing. He's saying, Moses, I want you to take a census of the people. Right this year, 
2020, 500 years ago in like January or whatever it was, right? There was this census. If you remember long before the, the world changed with virus and everything else, there was a census that went around. We all had to kind of update our information. In fact, Generations Church, we're doing that right now in a, in a different way. I'll get there in a second. But God is saying to Moses, listen, when you come down off Mount Sinai and you set up the tabernacle, one of the first things I want you to do is I want you to number all the people. I want you to count all the people. I want you to get this information. And this isn't about God trying to understand who's there. God knows who's there. And this isn't about Moses saying, hey, listen, my nation has this, you know, 1.5 million people. It's not about that. It's about Moses and Aaron and the other priests and the elders of Israel knowing, okay, who am I responsible for? Who has God called me to care about? And, and, and who are they? And no one goes missing. Everyone is valuable. And so back to us today, we're doing something similar. I just mentioned that in the announcements that we have a few people, some of my leaders are, are making phone calls on my behalf. And, and I'll be really honest and take this how you want to take this. We've been asking for a long time since the census, the actual census in America. We've been asking people to kind of fill out a form and, and update all their info and let us know who's there. And then we, we sent out some stuff not too long ago and just said, hey, can you help us kind of figure out who you are? Every Sunday, I ask every single person who calls this church home to check in on their phone app, right? So we do this, and again, it's not just to give a number, and it's not just to think, oh, good, we, we're, we're bigger today, or we're smaller today. It's not that. It's because you matter, right? Whoever you are, all of you, you, your family, your friends, everybody, you matter. And, and you matter to me. You matter more importantly to God. And there's no way I can possibly care for you or our church. This is not, definitely not all on me, but there's no way our church can care for you if we don't know you're there. And now just take that. Now, all these people are camping together, really, at the bottom of Mount Sinai. But just add coronavirus and live streaming. Add this weird season that we're in. And as a church, I've got to tell you one of the things that's weighed on me the most is I have no idea where people are. Some of you I haven't seen in eight months since our church was open in March. Some of you have joined since we started live streaming. Many of you have joined since we started live streaming. Right? We are go growing in pockets that are not local. We're growing 100 miles from here. We're growing in people that live stream from out of state. I don't know what that means for the future, but here's what I can tell you. There's people at the end of those live streams, and they matter to God, and they matter to me, and they matter to this church. So again, I have people that are reaching out and calling you. Please answer them. Please respond to their text, their email, their phone call. They actually want to get on the phone with you. They want to update some info. They want to make sure you're connected. That's really what we want to, and then we want to know when we send something out, how do I reach you? How do I let you know that, hey, we're doing communion this Sunday. How do I send you communion so you have it ready? And so please do that. And, and that's what God is doing here. He's letting the leadership understand who they have. Verse 13, it says, each one who is numbered in the census shall give a half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. That means nothing to most of us, right? The shekel, it's a small amount. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who num is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upwards shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the, than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, everyone matters here. But more importantly, everyone is responsible. Everyone, 20 years, up, 20 years old and up, everyone is responsible. They're not to give more, they're not to give less. They're responsible for the same thing. Everyone here is equal. 
And it, it is a beautiful image of our equal separation from God and sin, as well as our equal reconciliation to God in Christ. Let me put this up on the screen for you. Census, everyone matters to God. Israel's census was not just about counting people. It was about leaders knowing the people they were caring for. Generation is doing this right now, as I said, so that we can care for everyone better by knowing more about who you are. On a live stream, sometimes on Facebook, we'll see this one name, and we'll, so-and-so is live streaming, and that's great. Maybe, maybe that person is uh, somebody we know, but is it them? Are they married? Do they have kids? Do they have youth? As we're building up our youth and starting to re, um, reinsert some gatherings for youth, as we're doing that, where are who are the youth maybe that we can care for? There's, there's a lot there. And as God does this, he's giving this insight into who the people are. Verse 16, it says, And you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel, and you shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting. And it shall bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. Everyone here gives. Remember, take atonement money from the people. But here's what it says. Give it for the service. And so we've talked about this a few times in this, in this series. As people gave financially or they gave um, gold and silver and wood and, and different things to the building of the tabernacle. Actually, at this point, God has told Moses to ask the people for them. What we will see soon is that they will actually give. The same thing here, God is saying, here's what they will do. They will give financially, and it is for the ministry. It is for the service of worship, the mobile church that they have. The same thing comes out to us. We're, our church doesn't derive an income from, we're not, you know, some wealthy person to just keep us afloat. It, it's you, it's me, it's us giving. I'll put this on the screen, the responsibility of giving. Giving is about obedience to God so that we can fulfill the work that he has called us to. It is never about money. It is about discipleship and ministry. For us, it's never about the money. In fact, for the most of my ministry, for the, for the, for the last 15 years, 20 years, whatever it's been, I have underemphasized giving, sometimes to our own peril. Uh, but it's never been about the money, right? It's never been about that. It, it's, but this is something that God repeatedly calls us to. That this church, be it, be, be it online, in person, outdoors, live streaming across the nation, somewhere, it doesn't matter, this church is your church, right? It's, it's mine because I belong here too, but it's your church, and, and that, this kind of like our house, my wife and I, are, we, our house is our responsibility. This is our house, yours, mine is our church, and we are responsible collectively, not me because I work here or because I'm a pastor, but me because I belong here, because this is my home, this is my church family, same thing to you. Giving isn't about the money. It's about obedience. It's about discipleship. It's about trusting in God. That I know that God has called me to give the first 10% of what I earn to him and live on the 90%. And, and throughout some time in my life, that 90% has been questionable. Is that enough, right? Can I trust God? Well, God is always trustworthy. God always calls us to those spaces where we ask those questions, but then we step out in faith and God meets us in those moments. God reveals himself in this way. Verse 17, it says, The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing, and you shall put in between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. Right? You're going to make this sink, this basin, where Aaron and his sons, who Aaron is the high priest or will be, 
and his sons will be the first priests, and they are to wash. And again, this image of sin making them unclean is a present thing. The separateness from God because of our sin, because of God's holiness and our sin, there's this chasm between us. And some of the images we get are about life and death, and some of them are about clean and unclean. Verse 20, it says this, when they go into the tent of meeting and when they come near to the altar to minister to burn an offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet and so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his offspring throughout all generations. So I, my wife will tell you, I'm a pretty clean guy. I, I'm a guy who doesn't walk through the door and start taking things off and leaving a mess. I'm the guy who kind of cleans up all the time, right? I, I'm not perfect, but I, I'm pretty clean. But imagine this burden here that like before church, like there was this whole process and if I did it wrong, literally it says I could die. Why is this so severe? And, and we'll put this on the screen for you. This is in our app. The burden of sin. God portrays the weight of sin as deep and dire. The high priest washed as a vivid reminder of human sin. We need that reminder today because Jesus removed this burden through his death on the cross. We are sinful but clean in Christ. So we don't do this. We, this part has been removed from us. I don't have any risk. I'm sure God could do it if he wanted to, but there's no rule that says if I show up here and I'm not dressed the right way or didn't wash my hands the right way, that God would strike me dead mid-message. Okay, we're going to be good, right? So here's it, like that burden is removed from us. And so sometimes the understanding of the depth of our sin is lost because some of these things have been removed. We should be grateful they're removed, right? We don't have to endure this. Jesus has taken away all the sacrifice, all the washing, all the atonement, all the, the veil, everything. Jesus has taken that away. Jesus has fulfilled it all, so we freely receive God's presence. Even, again, we've been talking about baptism, even the presence of God living in us through His Spirit. We get that. But because we get all that and because it's free and because we don't have to go through this process, sometimes we miss how valuable it is. How deep and rich and amazing what we have is. Let's go back just a minute to prayer. Sometimes we undervalue prayer and we don't recognize that the creator of the universe desires to hear our voice so much so that he gives us the image of a fragrant incense rising up to him just when our little words go drifting up into the air in prayer. How beautiful is that and how overlooked is it? And I just admit, the busier I get, just the times I'm like, well, if I could just sleep in a little bit later, maybe I, I skip prayer and I'm pretty disciplined about being up, reading, praying. I'm pretty disciplined, but I, the mind battles that. The body battles that. The spirit battles that. But then I read passages like, okay, this, these crazy words, these little things I've got, God loves them. They smell good to him as they rise up to him. Verse 22, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh and 500 shekels and of sweet-smelling cinnamon is half as the much. That is 250 and 250 of aromatic cane and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. 
He says, make this anointing oil, and then you're going to anoint or pour or, or cover everything in it. And yes, it's this beautiful idea of this, this beautiful smelling place. But the anointing part, not only does it smell good, is there's this amazing aroma that reminds us of our worship and, and all these things taking place. But it says, and they will be set apart, right? They will be holy for this. It shall be a holy anointing oil. This is about taking all that God has commanded and all that God has said, this will be mine, and it's setting it apart for God alone. It's taking that space and saying, this, this is God's. And it challenges us in our life. Where in my life do I just carve out space and say, God, this is yours? And for me, it's that 5 a.m. slot, right? This is God's. From 5, 6, whatever it might be, that is God's. But where do we need to carve out more and more space for God? Verse 29 says, you shall consecrate them so that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Remember that holiness video I referenced earlier that we're watching in our community groups and, and read along with, there's an app called Read Scripture that has it in it. And there's this amazing shift that takes place with Jesus. And, and it's the things that are holy, if, if you are clean and then you would go and touch something unclean, it makes you unclean. If you were to touch a dead body, it would tell you in the Old Testament, then that makes you unclean. And you would go through a, a ritual of washing, kind of like Aaron does, right? There's this way to become unclean. But then this shift takes place, and we get glimpses of it in the Old Testament, but then this shift takes place where Jesus enters into human history, and when he touches someone who is unclean, lepers or people with diseases or whatever, instead of them making him unclean, he makes them clean. And it's this beautiful image of the gospel, and the, the gospel is so simple in its, in its essence, but it is unending in its implication, right? That there's a God who created us and loves us. And as we've talked about, all of us have sinned and there's this separation between a holy God and sinful humanity. And it's, it's a, a gap we can't cover. It's a bridge we cannot overcome on our own. So God so loved the world, it says that he gave his only son. So Jesus enters into human history. Eternal God becomes human. God becomes flesh in Jesus, and then Jesus lives this life and starts turning everything around where what he touches becomes holy. Instead of it making him unclean, he starts making it clean, and then he goes to the cross sinlessly as a perfect sacrifice, God dying on a cross for us, his human flesh being beaten and marred, and eventually God, he dies. And then at that moment, the presence of God is released. We read about this two weeks ago. And what happens is it starts shifting now. Those who are in Christ become clean. And they go out and they become messengers of God. And, and they go take this cleanliness, this holiness. They take it out with them. And there's this shift. And I love in this verse, whatever touches them will become holy. For the first time, unclean things, when they touch holiness, won't die. And these holy things will make them clean. If you're here today and you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus, and this sounds so just so outside of, of maybe what you've heard before, maybe you've never heard, it's this. It's that Jesus comes to take away your sin and your brokenness. And that sin might be the sin you've committed, the sin committed against you, the things that plague you. Jesus has come to restore that relationship between you and God and take that away. That doesn't mean life will be perfect. This life is a struggle. This life is broken. 
But Jesus has come for that reason. And believing that Jesus lived and died and rose again and proclaiming him as Lord of your life, meaning you will surrender your life to him. What he says goes, right? He becomes first in your life, not anything else. He becomes first. If that's you, you can do that today even. And as we get ready to take communion in a minute, I'll talk about that. But that's the gospel. And then if you do that, and if that's you, then you should reach out to us and let us know. Let us baptize you. That becomes the next thing that we're taught to do, that first step of obedience. Back in Exodus, verse 30, it says this, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. You shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Treat it distinctly. Verse 33, whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from the people. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stocked in Annika and Galbanum, and sweet spices and pure frankincense, and of each there shall be an equal part, and make an incense blended by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it with, a sm- uh, with very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It will be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it and uses a perfume shall be cut off from his people. Again, that there is this part that they set apart only for God. They give a special part of their life to God. And this is a lot of work. God is just painting this picture. It's a lot that they have to do. Exodus 31 now begins to deal with this thought. Everything that God has called them to do is a lot. And again, they're going to build this thing, and as soon as they get it built, God is going to move them. They're going to tear it down. They're going to move as God leads them. They're going to rebuild it. They're going to go all through the process again, but they keep setting a part of their life apart for God. Is it work? It is sometimes. What God calls us to sometimes can be hard. It can be a lot, but God has a provision for that. Listen, Exodus 31, verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to put work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting of stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. Listen to this. For those of you that work with your hands, and, and maybe you've been a part of a church, and it seems like in order to be like empowered by God, maybe you got to sing or speak or do something else. Listen to what he says about those who he gifts with their hands to work in the ministry. He says, they are filled with my spirit. What a beautiful promise. Verse 6, And behold, I have appointed with him a holy of son of Ahizamach in the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you in the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and the furnishings of the tent, the table and utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering, all its utensils and basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense of the holy space, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. This is beautiful words said to Moses. This is beautiful. It's not him that has to do everything, but it's it's us, right? Moses can go back down the mountain, and not only does he have to come up with all the things, but then he has to instruct people, and it all has to get done. But God says, it's okay, we have a plan for that. Everybody's going to give. And then I'm going to fill them with my spirit, and everybody's going to serve, right? This isn't about Moses. Generations Church isn't about me. In fact, it's not about you or me. It's us. Here's what God said. Here's a note for you. Service is a command. 
God gives us all abilities and empowerment to serve. The church is about everyone participating. Just like everyone gives, everyone serves. No one is excluded. Everyone is necessary. Not only are, are you needed and wanted and loved, but you are necessary. And that this is for all of us, the giving, the serving, the participating, it's, it's for everyone, not just a select few. Verse 12, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all, keep my Sabbath. Right? A Sabbath is taking one day a week and setting it aside for God. Right? That you shall work six days, says God, and then take a Sabbath. Right? This is built into creation. God works six days and then created humanity at the end of the sixth day. Their first day, they wake up, it's the Sabbath. Right? All throughout the Old Testament, here, the, the Ten Commandments include a Sabbath. You work six days, and then you give a day to God, right? You, you give in a certain way, you give the first portion to God, you, you serve in a certain way, and you Sabbath. You rest in a certain way, says God. Listen, verse 12, I'll start over. And the Lord said to Moses, you were to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, important, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. So this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. What is it that becomes different about God's people that the rest of the world can see? It's that they're not consumed with work. It's that they're not consumed with this or that. It's that they give a day a week to God that, that they may connect with God, that they can connect with the church, the family of God, that they may and their family may be a part of something that will refill them. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. It's set apart for you. It's made for you, he says. Everyone who profanes it or ignores it or makes it common, it shall be, put to, uh, shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Listen to how important he makes this to Moses. Listen, you don't treat it as common. You treat it as holy. You're not just taking a day off from work so you can get some extra sleep and your alarm doesn't have to go off. You're setting a day apart for God. It's in that that you're rested, right? Verse 15, six days, of work, six, six days shall work be done, and the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy, solemn, spiritual rest, right? Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Now, again, strong rules, strong language, strong things going on, and, and I know there are those out there like, hey, well, our Sabbath rest is Jesus, and it's the gospel, and listen to how important God makes it. And then just, Figure out, okay, what does that mean for us? Is God going to kill us if we don't take a day off? Probably not. The day not taking a day off might kill us, but God's not killing us for not taking a Sabbath. But in this moment, God makes it so important for his covenant people before Jesus enters in and, and fixes the system they're in. But God says, one day a week you give to me. It's repeated in the New Testament. It's not like it goes away after Sinai. So here's a note for you. Sabbath. Sabbath is about faith in God's provision. Just as God calls us to trust him in tithing that he will provide enough income, God calls us to trust him by taking a Sabbath that he will provide enough time. Faith sets us apart as God's people. Taking a day, giving a day to God, being a part of the family of God makes us different than everybody else. Not everybody else does that. It is distinguishing about us. Verse 16, it says, there, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and in the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, and when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. 
stone tablets, handwritten by God. Here you go. Amazing, right? So here's what God has done. Big picture. So back to creation. God creates everything in six days, including humanity. And God exhales life into humanity, breathes the Spirit of God into humanity. And then he tells him, listen, tomorrow is a day where you rest in me, you connect with me, and then we'll start work on Monday, right? Tomorrow is the day. No, it wasn't a Monday. I know. You start on the first day of the week. You go to work tomorrow. It's me and you, Adam. God starts on the Sabbath. And then we see creation, uh, we see sin enter into human history, and we see all this stuff go south, and God continues to repeat himself. Listen, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, he says. And now God has delivered a people group out of Israel, uh, out of slavery in Egypt, a, a people group called Israel, and he brings them to the bottom of a mountain. He says, listen, I'm going to come and visibly bring my presence to the middle of you, and here's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you these ten rules. Basically, I'm your only God, don't act crazy, love me the way I say to love me, and then love your neighbor, right? But one of those pieces is to give me a day. And so God expands on that and makes the priest and the tabernacle their, their worship space. He does all this, and then he reminds them at the end of all of this, he says, most of all, don't forget the Sabbath. Most of all, above all, he says, keep my Sabbath. We need to hear that as Christians. No, we're not the, the, the being made a covenant with Israel here. No, God is doing something unique with them. But the Sabbath throughout all Scripture. The Sabbath exists before sin even exists. It's a creation mandate. It's something we need to hear that we need today. Is God going to strike us dead if we don't do it? No, that was the covenant with Israel. We still need it. What do we do with this? Because in America, we've taken all the things that God has given us to refresh us, to keep us strong, to keep us alive, to keep our faith intact, and we treat it as if it's unimportant. We don't study Scripture the way we should. We don't pray the way we should. We don't Sabbath and rest the way we should. We don't serve our community or give to our community of faith or do all the things the way we should. And yes, I know some of you do this, and some of you do some of it and not other parts. Some do nothing. But God has given us a way to be his people, one of them is to give a day a week to God, to keep my Sabbath. Here's three things as we close. Sabbath is a command. Taking one day a week devoted to God causes us to be people who live differently in, a world, in the world. Others make work and play their master, while Christians who Sabbath show that God is our master. Number two, spiritual, Sabbath is spiritual renewal. Just like prayer, tithing, and serving, Sabbath rest is a spiritual practice. The common use of your hands, finances, etc., they require work, but faithful obedience to Sabbath renews and strengthens us in an exhausting world. Number three, Sabbath is physical rest. We trust in God when we Sabbath, no matter how much work remains. Nothing is more important than giving a day a week to worship God with others and serve the God who provides for all of us. Generations Church, this is one of the things that is neglected in the church today, and we need to hear this. That for our good was the Sabbath made. It was created for you, God says. You need it. God doesn't need it. We need it. I need it. And yet we ignore it, and we treat it as, oh, it's just to those people. Yeah, the death penalty here, that is for Israel, and the Sinaitic covenant, that is for them. But in creation, for all of humanity, in the New Testament, for humanity. It's for us. It's for you. It's for me. We need to learn how to rest in God, trust in God, and be a distinct people by the way we live. Will you pray with me? Jesus, as we gather this morning and we ready ourselves for communion, 
We recognize we don't live the way you've called us to live. We, we do disobey. We do act differently. We do misbehave. We do sin. We transgress. Jesus, forgive us, please. I just pray right now, just forgive us. God, for those who are listening who are not followers of you, who have not been baptized, who have not made you uh, the, the only primary thing in their life, God, I pray that you speak to their hearts today. Draw them to you, Lord. Draw them to you that they might know you. For all of us who know you and follow you, I pray that, that, that we would all be baptized, that, our, that we would hold that high and value that. But more importantly, I pray that we would learn how to obey you, how to follow you, how to Sabbath and rest in you, Lord. Let us begin to create space in our lives that is just for you. That is where we are weak. That is where we need growth. That is where we are sinful. Everything is about us. God, let us be about you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Generations Church, as we said, we're taking communion today. Uh, it is something that we have not done. If you've been online only since COVID, we haven't done this together. And, and the reason for that is that there, is, there are some strong warnings about communion. 1 Corinthians 11 says this. It says, In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. It says, In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. And in, Paul gives this list of things about how when they come together, it's actually not for their growth and benefit. He says, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus takes this bread at this meal with his disciples, and he breaks it, and he teaches them, This is, this is the penalty for sin. My body will be broken. But it's broken for you so that your life will begin to be put back together. My brokenness to make you whole. That, that my body broken so that we, the body of Christ, the people of God, can come back together and not be divided. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here's the command to do communion. Do this and remember me. In the same way, he also took the cup after cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus holds up this cup of wine at this meal and he looks at his disciples and, and he creates something they will do. They will break bread, they will take this cup, they will share this, they will do it in remembrance of Jesus. He shares with them, this is the penalty, my broken body, my shed blood, this is what it takes to atone for sin, to forgive our sins and remove them and also make God and us reconciled, make God favorably inclined to us. This is what it's going to take. It's going to take my life. And so he says, so here is a new covenant. All the sacrifices, that whole tabernacle, it's the old covenant. Here is a new covenant in my blood. I'm fulfilling all those things, he says, in my own blood. He goes on and he says this. He goes through some concerns and warnings, but he says this. For as often as you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the gospel over yourselves. You, you do this until he returns. So he, Paul goes on, he says, whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And he goes on, he gives some examples that exist in Corinth. At that time, that's 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to look that up. Here's why we haven't done this online. Is I've just, I take these words seriously that when we are not contemplative, when we, we don't examine ourselves, when we don't gather together in a right way, that there is a wrong way to do this. And, and we believe that God calls us to do things the way he's given us. We're worshiping the way he calls us to, that we're called to worship the way he calls us to, that we give in the way he calls us to, we serve in the way he calls us to, we Sabbath in the way he calls us to, and I know we violate all this and we break all the rules. But in this thing that is about his body and his blood, this sacrament, this holy moment, again, uniting God and humanity here, this means of grace that we wanted to protect it and we wanted it to be something special we'd celebrate together. Eight months later, now we want to celebrate together. We want to celebrate together online. And so I've asked you to either grab bread and, and a cup or we've shipped this out to a whole bunch of you. Uh, and so we have this opportunity. So I'm going to ask you if you have the ones we sent you. Uh, there's got two parts to it. There's the top part that has the wafer. And of course it's not coming off easy. Uh, there's the bottom part that is the cup. And so I'm just going to invite you to separate those pieces. And if mine argues with me anymore, we'd be in trouble. Here we go. And so here we have a symbol, a representative of that bread that Jesus broke with his disciples. Now today, you and I, disciples of Jesus, and, and again, I said this earlier, and if you've never done this, or if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can become one right here, right? And you ask Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you right now. I want to participate in this. And so I invite you, follow Jesus today. Reach out to me. Let's talk about baptism. Let's prepare that for you. But Jesus says on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He blessed it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And he took the cup. He did the same thing. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask that you to take communion together with us as a way to celebrate the gospel over us, whether we're at distance or whether we're in person. Jesus, as we gather, it's your body, it's your blood that has reconciled us to God. And so we, we have this moment that we celebrate. And so I ask, will you please bless this bread, this, this wafer, this symbol of your body. Your body was broken once. We don't have to do that again. We get to enjoy the benefit of it. We just celebrate what you have done for us. And so I ask that you would bless this. It's your body broken that we might be made whole. Generations Church, will you take this together? And Jesus, you held the cup up. And you said, this is a new covenant in my blood. This is for the forgiveness of your sin. Not this is for forgiveness of somebody else's, but for your sin. This was personal to you. This is a covenant to me, to you, to others. Because it is personal that you're covering our sin. And you said, my blood is, is the promise. And so you bless it, and I ask that you would bless us today. And as we take this together, Jesus, make this moment unique and important for us. I eagerly desire we can come back and do it together. But for now, this is what we have. And you are always greater than our circumstances. So will you bless this cup? And Generations Church, will you take the cup? Generations Church, may we proclaim Christ's life, his death, his resurrection. May we proclaim the gospel until he returns. 
Jesus, will you bless that in us? It's in your name we pray. Amen.